Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, I suppose we should be used to it by now, but this week, all eyes were on San Francisco and what turned out to be a landslide recall election. Three school board members lost their seats in a nationally watched election. That's right, Scott. And there have been a lot of hot takes, as usual, about what this recall means for Democrats and about San Francisco. So today we're going to start by chewing over the results and get into the details of what was actually on the ballot and what wasn't. Later on, we'll also check in with L.A. City Councilman Mike Bonin, who knows firsthand what it's like to be the target of a recall campaign. But before we get into recall mania, Scott. Um, yes, it's too there, late. We're already in it. We are, as you know, still in a pandemic. Um, and just minutes ago this afternoon, we uh, heard from the, the state's top uh, health official, Dr. Mark Galley, about a plan that the governor's also laying out today. Um, and I wanted to come here and say the pandemic's over. But as you probably guessed. Depends uh, on what county you're in. San Francisco's not ready or California's not ready to say that yet. I mean, how I would frame what the governor and Dr. Galley are saying is that we are entering a new phase in which we need to learn how to live with this, to not be quite as scared, but to also be prepared for whatever comes next, whether it be another variant, a lesser or worse one. And also the potential future pandemics. Um, this is how Galley put it. We're not out of the woods. We're just more familiar with the woods. Yeah, we know how to get we out of the woods. We know what's around the next tree. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know. On a practical level, this isn't going to change your life very much. Well, exactly. And I think for some time, people are going to sort of make decisions for themselves, whether it's masking in a business or kids at school. And so I think it seems to me like what the state is doing is kind of backing away a little bit from those top-down regulations that we've had. And in reality, you know, county by county and even, you know, in some places, city by city, there have been differences and variances between what you know, the state regulations were and what people were doing either on an individual basis or business owners, right. schools. So it is, I think, in a way, just a recognition of reality that people, you know, have been living with this for a long time. There's a lot of fatigue over many aspects of this. I know I feel that. And so it's kind of a, just an acknowledgement of, uh, hey, uh, that that's the way things are. And, um, you know, we're going to get used to it. Maybe there'll be another booster shot. We'll keep an eye on the variants and all those things. But I think it's really just a recognition of... Uh, you know, where we are. Yeah, 
I guess what struck me listening to this, and because we do live in a pretty liberal city where people have taken this way more seriously than maybe in some rural parts of the state, is whether this message will get through to those folks who might be still, I mean, I know people who are still very hunkered down, even though they're triple vaxxed, even though their kids over the age of five have been vaccinated. Um, You know, in San Francisco, we're finally allowing kids to be unmasked outside, which has really been the CDC and and Department of Public Health guidance for a while. But that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, people are nervous. So, Mike, I'm curious whether the governor and Dr. Galley's message will be kind of heard not just in places where they've, you know, sort of pushed back on these restrictions, but maybe places where they're not willing to give them up. Well, it's funny because I walk around San Francisco now and I do not wear a mask when I'm outside. And a lot of people still do. And I have to admit, I kind of look and think like, why are they wearing masks? And it's it's kind of the evolution of the way, I think that's the way a lot of California, especially the rural counties, looked at us. Like, why are they wearing masks all the time? Why are they so worried? It's only and there could the... be a good reason. They yes. could be immunocompromised. Right. No, they could absolutely. be COVID positive. Like, But I do think that it's um, it has become, I mean, I think because masking in general became such a sort of cultural flashpoint. Um, uh, it's it's fascinating. I mean, honestly, um, I, I think what the governor is trying to do is turn a page here and sort of, you know, convey to folks that they are are trying to move on. I mean, to be clear to your point, there's not actually a lot of statewide restrictions in effect at all anymore. The only real big ones are school masking, which um, they've promised to kind of revisit at the end of the month. And then, you know, large, large mega events like a basketball game or something like that um, where people still do have vaccine and testing requirements. Yeah, there's a lot of cross currents, political and otherwise. You know, you have different health experts recommending different things and saying different things. Uh, and obviously, you know, the teachers union may feel differently than parents feel in some cases. And, you know, if you're an elected official, especially the governor, you've got to navigate all these things and try to find the sweet spot of, uh, you know, you, you want to have some credibility because right. who knows? It may We may go back the other direction. Well, that's and- a great transition. <laughs> (laughs) to the politics of all of this, because, you know, while the pandemic was not the only thing on this school board recall ballot this week that we saw in San Francisco, it certainly was part of what sparked the effort to recall these three folks. And to get into that, I want to introduce our one and only producer, Guy Marzarati. Hey, Guy. Hey, Guy. So you had the pleasure of covering what was a a pretty fraught. Define pleasure. (laughs) Well, let's, let's put it this way. It's so fraught that when I characterized this as bitterly dividing the city, I got a lot of flack on Twitter, people said, well, the results were overwhelming. I'm like, bitterly doesn't mean evenly, right? Right, right. (laughs) totally. Look, I think we've seen, and I'll be interested to get your takes on this as well, like a lot of national and statewide Mm -hmm. takes coming out of this election. And sometimes they're wrong, Guy. Yeah, I mean, look, one that stood out to me a lot is We've seen this all over Fox News ever since the results came in uh, on Tuesday night. Even before, I mean, they they were doing stand-ups outside of City Hall. Um, And I think, you know, it's being celebrated on on Fox News and the right as kind of a victory that these three school board members lost their job. I even got a statement right after the results came in uh, on Tuesday night from the Republican National Committee saying this recall, quote, shows that Californians are not radical leftists like Democrat lawmakers had hoped, which really put to me like... The nationalization of these results is really what the Republican Party wants to see, right? right? Well, I think they're looking at what happened here and they're trying to say, oh, this is the same thing that happened in Virginia, you know, where where the dynamics of that governor's race, where Youngkin won in part by making critical race theory the main issue and, you know, got trying to make sure government's out of the classroom. I'm not sure. I mean, I am quite sure that was not really what was happening here. I think it was about misplaced priorities. I don't think that the voters were saying we don't care about these other issues of equity and opportunity and all those things, but let's let's get the schools reopened. Let's put things in the right order. 
Well, I would say in the extension of that Republican message, which is, OK, these these three are Democrats they are out of office. Progressives are down bad is, oh, the Republican agenda for for education must be up, which, as we've seen in other states, is telling teachers what to say about uh, LGBT, you know, sexual orientation, race, banning books, putting cameras in I classrooms don't see to that monitor. coming to San Francisco overnight, guy. Right. And I think CNN had a really good poll on this about national education issues. And they found, I think, no surprise that parents are incredibly concerned about education headed into right. the midterms. But then they also broke it down by party and asked, OK, depending what party member you are, what are you concerned about education? And on, on the Republican side, it was curriculum. But on the Democratic side, it was school funding, you know, something yeah. that's been an issue here in, it, for voters in California for a long time. Yeah. And speaking of funding, I mean, let's not forget the recall campaign had about $2 million, which right. is an unheard of amount of money, more than I think the previous candidates who ran for the school board in the last five or six years spent combined. Uh, and, and the turnout was also very low, it was about 25%. That said, I don't think you can dismiss this. I do think that this is kind of a wake-up call in some ways, for, certainly for the school board. Um, but I think that, you know, there is a sense, and we're going to give another recall on the ballot in June with the DA. We'll get a better sense of just where people are in these crime and justice, public safety issues. But, you know, I do think that the pandemic has just, I think, put people on edge over a lot of things, and it's refocused attention. I mean, who even thought about the school board, you know, yeah. before this happened? I mean, I think on the money side, you hit the nail on the head. Like, the, you can't look past this. This is an incredible amount of money that was being spent, uh, you know, on the school board race. I've done a lot of lo- reporting well, into, talk about into from the funders. Who? Because there are certainly funders there that are playing in national politics. Totally. You have, you know, s- supporters of ch- uh, charter school expansion, voucher expansion, uh, getting involved, getting money to this recall. So I think it no doubt played a huge role. 20 to 1 spending advantage on the yes side. That being said, I do think one thing that's been overlooked is why didn't the no campaign raise any money? You know, the, you why have, didn't the statewide teachers union get it? Right. Involved? Maybe they had polling. Well, you look at the groups that supported, you know, these these board members that opposed the recall, teachers unions, the SCIU. These are some of the most powerful groups in Moneyed statewide groups. politics yeah. who have some of the smartest people in California politics working for them. So at some point, a calculation was made. Maybe it was at the state level of saying, look, we can spend a million five hundred thousand. You're not going to make up 50 points or even at the local level thinking we have another election in November for school board. Are we really going to, you know, go die on this hill, basically. I think that's really important to remember because, you know, okay, they succeeded in getting rid of these three school board members. There's no guarantee that, A, the people London Breed appoints to replace them will even run in November, and secondly, that they'll win, and they could end up with three new school board members who are, you know, more or less the same on these issues that, uh, or, you know, maybe worse, you know, from their perspective. So there, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher, like, why would you spend this much money on that? Well, I think that they saw a political opportunity. Again, I don't know uh, in terms of the folks, especially sort of more on the right who, who who came in and and saw this. But what I would say, like to me, what the lesson is, it's a political reporter and a resident of this of the city who has kids in schools and is watching all this unfold is that. Elected officials do need to be responsive to their constituents. That doesn't mean they need to change, you know, go with the winds every time somebody shows up at public comment and says something. But people need to feel like they're being heard and they need to feel like they're being heard, even if they're not the people that brought you to the table. Right. You are still representing this entire city or this entire state when you get elected to one of these positions. And you don't get to just sort of poo poo people's concerns, especially in the middle, to your point, Scott, of this unprecedented pandemic that puts stress on everybody from, you know, in so many ways. And I think that there was a real sense, um, uh, you know, among the folks who backed this, who are not big tech VC people from outside of San Francisco, but were the parents that started it. Um, 
who, you know, might be more affluent themselves, but also were looking around and going, you know, we're talking about these other issues, not about what's actually matters, which is schools are closed. Well, and, um, and I do think parent anger is a real thing for Democrats. Absolutely. And I think whenever you get 75, 80 percent of the people voting in one position, uh, that you just that is a that is across the political spectrum, even if it's a small turnout. And we did have some prominent liberals like Matt Gonzalez, former supervisor, uh, former Green Party member, Art Agnos, the former mayor, endorsing the recall um, and, and, and the mayor as well, London Breed. So, you know, I do think it's hard to characterize this as a left right kind of issue mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, priorities, pragmatism. Let's focus on what's yeah. important today and then we can get to these other issues once these things are taken care of. Well, right, and I, I do think going forward, like if you're if you don't live in San Francisco, if you're following education politics in California, one issue that's been, you know, top of mind for many years is this idea of, you know, expansion of charter schools. And I do think that will be something very interesting to watch coming out of this. It was not an issue in the campaign that, you know, the yes side brought up as this is why we're pursuing the recalls. But like you mentioned, Marisa, a lot of the big money that came into this campaign was by supporters of charter schools. And Scott, you had a really interesting exchange with the mayor yesterday talking about these three appointments that London Breed now has to the school board and basically asking, you know, are you ruling out picking, you know, people who support the expansion of charter schools? It hasn't been as big of an issue in SF as it has been in Oakland or Los Angeles. But Breed didn't shut it down. Well, you know, the first I asked the first time and she didn't really answer it. And then I said, well, are you going to disqualify people who support charters or vouchers? And she said, I'm not disqualifying anybody. That would have been the chance to sort of allay those concerns. But, you know, she said, I want people who are going to listen to your point, Marisa, and people who are going to focus on what's important, deal with the budget deficit that the school board is facing, you know, those sorts of things. Well, right. And again, these are folks who are only going to serve for the next year, essentially, or less than nine months, right? There's another election in the fall. I think two questions there. To your point, Guy, if this is, you know, if she does choose folks who are maybe more open to those types of charter reforms or other things that have been really like antithetical to, to unions and, and progressives, do they have enough time to do that with the budget, with the superintendent fight? And then also, like, can they win? I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you put somebody in office, if the voters don't back them up. Right. I'll just say that's where I think this could become a statewide blueprint. If, if it's she appoints three charter supporters and then suddenly, OK, this is the way we get you know people on the board going forward. So the pressure's on the mayor. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by somebody who can talk about the personal aspect of a recall, Los Angeles City Councilman Mike Bonin. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we are welcoming Los Angeles City Councilman Mike Bonin to the breakdown. Councilman, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So you represent a district that I think is usually described as like LAX up to the Palisades, like the the west side, uh, sort of more coastal. Um, And as we mentioned there was, I think, one or two attempts to launch a recall campaign against you that failed. But then afterward, you decided not to run for re-election. Um, for folks who aren't as familiar you know, with your path, talk about why you made that call after kind of coming out of this recall attempt in a stronger position. So it was it was really sort of a, a whole mixture of, of, of different factors. Uh, but a, a really big one for me was it was really a question of, of, of my mental health. Uh, I have... Yeah, I've been very open about the fact that I've been in recovery from drugs and alcohol for 27 years. Uh, I've been open about the fact that I experienced housing instability and slept on the street when I was younger. And I felt it was important for me to share that, you know, I've also struggled for, you know, over a decade with depression and um uh, the right choice for me and for my family was to actually step back and focus on 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 my health and on my wellness and and on my family. And that was the, the biggest factor, I would yeah. say. Did you think about uh, stepping down earlier? I mean, you've run for, you've been in office two terms. I mean, you've been dealing with these issues. I mean, in some ways, given the climate we're in right now, right. like why would anybody want to be in public office? Well, you know, I, I think I probably would have had the internal conversation in my head and the external with my my husband and, and, and my son earlier if it hadn't been for the recall, actually, Mm. you know, because then I would have decided, you know, four or five months ago, am I going to run again? The recall, I was I I was in sort of a defensive posture and I didn't have a choice but to fight the recall. So that put me in campaign mode. And it wasn't until that failed that I really had the opportunity to to sort of reflect. I mean, politics has 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 really been uh, unpleasant uh, for the past few years. Uh, we have a polarized political climate nationally, and that has seeped down locally. And it's just gotten worse during the pandemic because people are, you know, universally, their lives have been disrupted. They're they're frustrated. They're angry. And that's that's intensified things a lot. I wanted to ask you, because you've been in office since, I believe, 2013. Um, yeah. A lot has changed since then. I mean, politically, uh, you know, Trump was such an earthquake in 2016. In what ways, from a local perspective, are you seeing this? And, and like one thing that struck me as we were preparing this is, you know, again, regardless what you think of an, an elected, I, I, I saw a tweet from one of uh, the recalled school board members, President Gabriela Lopez, just showing all of these terrible misogynistic comments she's been getting on Twitter. Um, and it 
I don't know. It just struck me that, like, for all of the things we sort of see someone like you get heckled at a news conference, like, we don't even know about all the harassment that's happening, right? Yeah, there's a there, there's a lot of it, and I, I would break it down into to, to sort of two categories. There's the uh, there's there's the personal invective, and then there's the the, the false information. You know, the personal invective was all sorts of stuff about, oh, he's still on drugs. He's dealing drugs and sleeping with teenagers in encampments. Uh, There were posters of me uh, in blackface. There were people portraying me as Hitler. There were people portraying me as Stalin. There were people during the the height of the, the sort of George Floyd BLM summer outside my house who were posed to masks and rent control and homeless housing who were chanting uh, white lives matter. Uh, you know, my son is black. Uh, that was a really pretty ugly moment. Um, but those, in, in a weird way, you know, that sort of animated me for the fight. I'm like, I'm not going to let these SOBs win. I, I'm going to fight this and I'm going I'm, I'm to stick with it. What was really sort of wore down on the psyche was the broad misinformation that was out there. You know, my opinion is, is is the left is really bad at telling a public narrative yeah. uh, about its positions, about its policies, me, me included. And uh, the right is masterful. So there is a master narrative and, and, and you see it in, in the race with our DA and you see it in the race with your DA. There's a master narrative out there that progressive equals homeless equals crime. It's it's this this triad and tr- Tucker Carlson talks about it. Radio shock jocks down here in L.A. talk about it. It's all these private Facebook groups. It's nextdoor.com. And there has been misinformation out there for weeks before as an elected official even know it's out there. And you no longer have a megaphone or a soapbox equivalent to that. So, you know, people will will, will say false stats about crime. People will say false things about homelessness or will say, you know, Bonin isn't doing this or is doing this when the opposite is true and you can't get the truth out there. And I think that was more frustrating and hard to deal with than anything. Obviously, yeah. one of the issues uh, that is easy to see, and we see it here in San Francisco, L.A., every big city and even in some suburban areas is homelessness uh, yeah. along the boardwalk in Venice. And I'm just wondering, do you feel like, you know, what did these recall supporters want? Did they want a change in policy? Did they want to just like, you know, just cause chaos? Uh, because like I've been, you know, I've been Shasta County where I covered a recall up there. They clearly have an agenda to move government to the right. I mean, it's hard to imagine the west side of L.A., uh, you know, electing a really super conservative city councilman. Well, you know, I think there's there's a lot to it. I don't think that just as there's no one one cause for homelessness. I don't think there's one reason behind a recall. Um, you know, there, there's lots of different things. What What's undeniably true in the case of my recall is that the people who were the chief architects and supporters and amplifiers of it are people who were pointing to homelessness and, and encampments and the frustration over homelessness as the issue saying Bonin has failed. But they are also the very same people who have sued or appealed or protested to stop homeless housing, homeless shelter, homeless services everywhere in my district and in other places in L.A. Uh, It was really there were some folks who were right wing and then there were folks who were just real obstructionists. And that that to me was the biggest irony is the people who were actually impeding progress were the ones who were behind it. But but I think there's something sort of bigger to it. Right. 
Um, uh, last year, year or two ago, uh, Trump's former national security advisor, Rick Grinnell, uh, came to California and he formed a group called Fix California. And he said he wanted to do the opposite to California that Stacey Abrams did to Georgia. And he said, this isn't about one big race nat statewide. It's about the little ones. And so there's this argument out there and it's in San Francisco and it's here and it, you know, it's clowns like Dr. Drew and, and Michael Schellenberger and all that who are saying progressive homelessness, crime, all the same thing. And what they're doing is they are going out there and they are convincing people who are frustrated genuinely uh, and progressive that homelessness doesn't or, or housing does not end homelessness or that investing in jobs and education and health doesn't uh, reduce the causes of crime. And they are they are they're arguing uh, more investments for police, more investments for jails. And it's a doubling down on 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 everything that actually is is the problem. And it, it, it would be very easy and very tempting for an elected official to say, all right, people are angry, people are frustrated. I'm going to I'm going to lead on what they're saying. I'm going to parrot what they're saying. I'm going to oppose housing. I'm going to oppose criminal justice reform. For me, it would have been the, the, the height of hypocrisy to uh, try to appease the anger and frustration by doubling down on the things that cause the problems that people are angry and frustrated about. Let me just push back in one way, which is that you know that you know thousands of people did sign the petition to recall you. And I mean, you live in LA, we live in... like. It is homelessness is a heartbreaking problem, like regardless of whether you support the progressive policies you do or not. I think there's a lot of sort of, you know, average citizens out there who are just like fix it. And I understand what you're saying about the sort of systemic and and institutional problems of doing that. Do you have any regrets? Do you ever feel like you could have just been more um, empathetic to to some concerns out there? Do you think that the way you approached it ever mattered? Oh, you know, I'm sure in hindsight, I'll, I'll look back and, and I'll see things that, that I thought I, I could have done better. Uh, and, you know, that's that's certainly one of the, the, the criticisms of me. But it, it, it stems from, I think, a, a false analysis of the problem. It, it stems from and th- this this perception and this argument that you are either for the housed or for the unhoused or that you need to balance the interests of the house against the unhoused. And I, re- I reject both of those hmm. uh, because I think that by, 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 by doing housing and doing wraparound services and, and giving, getting people off the street humanely without cops, without law enforcement, that you actually solve both problems. The, the, the way to get rid of encampments, which is what people is upset about, is to get people housed, right? If you house people, the people who are unhoused are happy. If you house people and there's no more encampments, the people who are housed are happy. It's these policies that some of our mayoral candidates and some of my council colleagues and, and, and these right wingers are espousing that actually forces that choice between housed and unhoused by saying, you need to arrest your way out of this. You need to use law enforcement. You need to be tougher on this carceral approaches that forces that conflict. And uh, I, I just reject that conflict as being unnecessary. I want to ask you about the sheriff, uh, Alex Villanueva. He showed up on the boardwalk in your district and was uh, you know, saying, we're tired of empty promises. Obviously, he was campaigning um, and he was in front of a, a, one of these encampments. What do you make of his agenda? What do you think he was trying to do that day that he showed up? And what's his bigger agenda? He's had his own problems, of course. 
Oh, he's got his own problems. I mean, I, I can, I can, I can tell you, uh, like I have a crystal ball when he's going to show up in my district, <laughs> uh, and where, and where he will show up in my district the day after there is a negative headline about his, his, his giving the finger to civilian oversight or about civil rights abuses or a deputy shooting an unarmed black man. He will show up in my district the next day and he will show up at the place where I have recently announced I'm doing something to house people because he likes to come in and, and then say when the problem is solved, I did it. The, the guy, he likes to wear a, a cowboy hat. I, I like to say the guy is all hat and no housing. Uh, he comes in with with, with these guys uh, uh, heavily armed and just threatens people and, and pushes them around. There's two approaches to dealing with big encampments in Los Angeles. And th there was one approach that one of my colleagues did, the kind of approach that, that the sheriff likes, where they gave everybody short notice, get the hell out of the park, Echo Park uh, uh, Lake in the other part of the city. 200 cops cost millions of dollars in law enforcement. They declared martial law practically in the neighborhood for, for two days. A year later, like four people are permanently housed. In Venice, we did exactly the opposite. Uh, we led with services. We led with outreach. Uh, we got 213 people indoors last summer already, but 80 of them are in permanent housing. Uh, the rest are in interim housing waiting for the permanent placements. Housing works. You can do it right. And what the sheriff is banking on is that he can persuade frustrated progressives that, that, that his tough guy approach is the way to go. Well, we'll have to see in that sheriff's race. Before we let you go, Councilman Bonin, um, I, I've heard you say that you're a lot happier now that you've made this call. I'm just wondering what's next oh. for you. And, and could you ever see coming back to politics or, or being involved, at least publicly, in, in some of these uh, fights you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. Publicly. I don't know about running for office again. Uh, I, I've not been a typical elected official and I won't be a typical ex-elected official. I am not going to be a corporate lobbyist uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I would like to teach. Uh, I'd love to host a public radio show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I want to stay very active. I will stay very active on the issues of racial justice and on homelessness uh, and on climate change uh, in particular. I'm going to stay very engaged and I will just find different ways uh, to, to, to manifest uh, my advocacy in, in my fight for justice. And of course, being a dad. It's always oh, a yeah. full time job. <laughs> <laughs> Councilman Bonin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer and sometimes guest is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. If you want to heckle me for my adjective choice, you can find me on Twitter at M Lagos. Better. Have a great one. <laughs> love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.